Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And today we are joined by uh, two very special guests. One is a returning friend of the show. One is a new friend of the show. We're joined by Austin and Tori, who are both a part of the third Impact uh, Anime podcast. Guys, how are y'all? Doing well, man. Thank you for letting me come back to talk about more Japanese cartoons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you for having us. I'm super excited. I uh, don't get to go attend other shows very much at all. So very fun to be a guest on someone else's. <laughs> yeah, we're we're very happy to have you. When he asked, you know, about, about you coming on, I was like, no, definitely. You know, the, the more the merrier. And um. And I, you know, we're we're doing a whole women in in his uh, women in film uh, theme all month long, um, and I was sitting there and I was thinking about you know what I thought would make for for a good episode, and, and when women in in anime sort of crossed my mind, I knew exactly who to call to, and so when he told me that he wanted to bring on someone else, I was like, well, he knows what he's talking about, so absolutely. <laughs> Oh, thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we gave a little background on Austin, I think, the last time he was here. Tori, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your relationship to anime? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. So I have been into anime probably uh, like most people into anime since I was a kid. Um, it started with Sailor Moon and Pokemon and kind of evolved into what it is now. And um I tend to like very psychological, like horror type shows and film in general. Um, so yeah, I just, I think it's a great medium and we get some very, very unique things in anime and animation, especially that you would never get in a regular, you know, live action film. So um, yeah, that's just a great genre that, or a great medium that I love very much and I'm happy to be here to talk about. Yeah, no. Uh, what do you, What are some of your favorites, or what's something that you're currently watching? Yeah, um, currently watching not much. I've kind of been on a little bit of a burnout, so um, definitely some things to watch. But um, as far as favorites go, probably Evangelion is my number one. Uh, Sailor Moon still has a very special place in my heart, and um, probably. Uh, Paranoia Agent and um, Serial Experiments Lane. So bringing out the highbrow, highbrow stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good that you mentioned Paranoia Agent because last time I was on here, we were talking about Tokyo Godfathers, which is yes. another Satoshi Kon work, but uh, uh, Paranoia Agent is basically the polar opposite of his brain. Like it's it's definitely the um, there's no Christmas spirit and paranoia agent. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> um, well, like I mentioned, you know, we're we're doing women in anime uh, this or this week because, especially here in America, you know, the the directors that I feel like most people talk about, most people know of, that aren't deep into uh, the genre, um, are are men. You know, it is. People like, you know, Miyazaki and, and uh, you know, you might have some that know people like Satoshi Kon and, and that sort of thing. And so it definitely doesn't seem like something that, you know, on this side of, of things 
has as much awareness around the women that are currently working in or have worked in um in anime and so uh austin told me that you two sort of do panels on this kind of of thing and so if you wouldn't mind uh giving us a little bit of a of a crash course uh because we also love educating our listeners um and so would you mind giving us a, a little crash course on sort of the history of women in anime Sure, uh, no problem. We'll uh, try and condense the history of an entire industry down into just a few sentences. I don't want to ramble too long because I definitely have a tendency to do that. And as I go on, Tori, just like we do in our panels, feel free to stop <laughs> me anytime because I will just keep going. Sure. Um, and, I, and I'll pass the baton to you if there's something that I know you're you're specifically more versed in than me. So, um, uh, I mean, Paul, you're absolutely right. Um, that the large perception of uh, just sort of anime creators in general, um, it's a little bit different when you're talking about manga, but the creators in anime that are the most popular here in the States uh, are mostly men. you got people like, like Miyazaki, like Takahata, like um, Makoto Shinkai comes to mind as somebody more modern. Um, Mamoru Hosoda, who just had a film come out, Bell, a couple months ago. Um, are mostly men and a lot of the people in the anime industry from like a leadership perspective are our men but there are definitely some women I mean women have always been part of the industry in one way or another it's just that typically the industry is very hierarchical whenever it comes to the director's chair so it's it's fairly infrequent that you see um, women in that position and to a larger extent just like younger people in general like it's very 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 uncommon for like there to be an anime director who's like under the age of 35 if not 40 because most of the time the way that you get to be a director a director in something is like you go through up the um the studio hierarchy you kind of grow into it um so that's like a general overview of like you know the the current state of it and and another big reason why there's not as many women is of course like Japan, like many countries, you know, there's always a historical bent towards a big patriarchal focus. So just women haven't been given the opportunity to lead for as long as men have. So there is sort of the, those um, the echoes of that into uh, into the modern day. Um, but a lot of the women there, that, but that is kind of changing. And I know I think some two of the two of the directors that we're going to be talking about today, I would say, are kind of trailblazers in their own way. Uh, in the modern, in the modern sense, um, so yeah, that, I mean that's that's the general overview, and that's kind of how we introduce the panel. If there's anything I missed out of that conversation, please fill it in, Tori. Um, no, not particularly. I was just going to say that if thinking on it is such a stark difference compared to um, Western filmmaking, where it feels like you know there are a bunch of women and. Um, non-binary directors compared to what you see in Japanese animation. So um, it's kind of a stark contrast to me, at mm -hmm. least. Um, so that was, that was a great overview. So um, just out of curiosity, if you do happen to know, who was the first woman to direct like an anime feature film or, or show? Do you, do you happen to know? Ooh, that's a really good question. I feel like that's yeah. definitely something I should know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I guess here's a here here's kind of an answer. It's like um, when you're talking about like anime for TV, 
there ends up being like a series director and then a bunch of like episode directors. And um, there have been plenty of women who have worked as episode directors throughout anime for for many decades. Um, but it is not often that they really sit in the primary like series director chair or the um, like film director chair, as it were, in that top position. But knowing like who the first would be, that would that would be really helpful to me. I I would like to say it was somebody out of Studio Ghibli, but unfortunately, from a from a company perspective, Ghibli can be fairly um, conservative, I guess. Um, Miyazaki is very much a curmudgeon who is um, maybe not the most forward-thinking type of guy. He's very set in his ways. No, yeah. Um, I, I saw that infamous clip where uh, the people brought him like that, that animation uh, that, that they had been working on, this like algorithm of like how to 3D animate things. And he was like, this is the most soulless thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's an abomination. Um, He's not afraid to speak his mind. And no. sometimes some, sometimes he's really on point, but other times he's like, Grandpa, please go home. You're tired, energy. <laughs> Retire for real this time, please. Yes, please. Retire and mean it. Um, but yeah, it's kind of one of the unfortunate things about, about Ghibli. I keep throwing them under the bus in this one, but no, I really do like Ghibli. I don't want to give the wrong impression, but um, they, they have... Um, pretty consistently relied on their specific talent pool over the years and haven't necessarily done a good job at raising up the next generation. Whereas other projects like um, Studio Kara's uh, Animator Expo um, that they did a few years was all about um, raising up new new talents in the industry. And in, in a way that was headed by sort of an old old timer in the industry, uh, Hideki Anno, the director of Evangelion, who's been around since but for like 40 years and that project really did intend to get new blood into the industry in a way that I don't though in a way that I wish Ghibli would also do um so I don't know that was a brief aside but I think I think it's 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 irrelevant to point out that attitude because I don't think it's unique to just Ghibli I think a lot of the studios can be more on that like let's not take chances and kind of go with quote unquote what has been working um, so that's why it, it's, it tends, it, it can be a little bit stagnant from that perspective sometime. Okay. Interesting. Um, would you like to give us a little background on the, on the two directors that we are going to be talking about today? Sure. Um, I've been talking plenty. So Tori, do you want to talk about either one of them? Um, I will let you take it as you just second to gather my thoughts, so please go right on ahead. <laughs> okay. Which movie did you guys want to talk about first? Yeah. Um, we'll be, we'll, uh, I guess we'll do it alphabetically, so we'll, we'll be starting with uh, A Silent Voice. Okay. okay, so Silent Voice. Uh, so the director of A Silent Voice is, um, Naoka Yamada, and she is, um, has primarily worked for, um, a studio called Kyoto Animation for the lion's share of her career, if not maybe all of her career. She started as a um, an in-between animator early, early on in like the late 90s, the early 2000s. And then she um, sort of grew into the company, which is a very, very small company. And it's also outside of the 
about the outside of the the Hollywood system, if you were, it's like de it's decentralized. It's outside of Tokyo, where the where most of the anime industry is. So they have a slightly different way of doing things, and they're sort of outside of that bubble. Um, so their production model is a little bit different than what you would find in a studio there. Um, so she was able to sort of rise through the ranks as a episode director on a bunch of different things and showed an, a, a really unique um, uh, style of um, framing and animation and color design that uh, the higher-ups there were very pleased with. And she eventually got series director roles and then went on to direct her first TV series with K-On! in um, the mid-2000s, which is a uh, show about... Uh, girls doing music and drinking tea, and it's a very good show. Uh, Tor, do you want to talk about? Uh, do you want to kind of continue from there on Yamada's career? Yeah, yeah. Um, you you tend to bring the factual, and I tend to bring the the emotional about it. But um, that's no, what makes she... us good good co panelists. <laughs> um, no, she just is a fantastic, very talented uh, director, and. Um, the big thing about her, I think she's very good at um, kind of girl power and the dynamics of what makes friendships and drama and interpersonal relationships amongst young women and women in general. Um, I know there's an interview with her talking about K-On! how she kind of like, am I remembering correctly that she kind of wanted to just make a group of friends that she thought would be fun to hang out with? Yeah, and um, in that, a that's kind of yeah. yeah, that's kind of how we got the um, young ladies in K on. But um, I I think that's you know what draws me a lot to her works are just how she displays those um, interpersonal relationships and connections mm -hmm. to her characters and the characters with each other. So. Mm -hmm. And K on was really successful in its genre, which at the time there was. I mean, it's still kind of the case today. There's like a whole subgenre of anime that is um kind of cutes cutely referred to as cute girls doing cute things um and that's what kind of what the shows are um from a superficial perspective but um K-On in particular is one of those shows that kind of goes beyond just like the aesthetics of you know cutesy antics and and really does um, seem to resonate with with audiences in a in a real human human way, other than just like anime characters goofing off, um, where it 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 has like a cross like a cross cross audience appeal. Like it appeals to a lot of different. It appeals to both like anime fans and like regular like TV watchers and things like that. And it appeals to women specifically because I cannot deny that there are a lot of like female-led anime series that are really just made for men um, or young boys or what have you. Um, but K-On! Is, is really kind of different in that regard in the sense that it takes its female characters very seriously. And I think it's a good baseline for where Yamada would, would go eventually with stuff like um, Tomoko Market and the movie for that, which won a whole lot of awards and then sort of set the stage for um, her adaptation of... Um, a silent voice in uh, 2016. Yeah. Well, that's a, a perfect lead-in, honestly. And so <laughs> without further ado, I guess we should jump into reviewing A Silent Voice. And as always, we have a clip. So take a listen. 
俺と西宮友達になれるかな友達何それウケるいじめてたやつと友達今日から新しい仲間が増えるぞ<笑>お前さもっとうまくやらねえとうざがられちゃうんじゃねえの So that was a silent voice, colon, the movie,、uh, from 2016.、Uh, as they said, it is directed by Naoka Yamada,、um, and it is based on、uh, a manga of the same name. And、uh, the screenplay is by Reiko Yoshida,、uh, and it stars. Uh, depending on, I guess, technically, you know, the version that you listen to,、um, or, or, you know, the, the, whether you're getting dubs or subs.、Um, Miyu Irino, uh, uh, we'll just go off of the, off of the original、uh, Japanese cast for the, for the subtitled version.、Uh, Saori Hayami,、uh, Ayo Yuki, Kensho Ono, Yuki Kaneko. Um, and the premise is a young man is ostracized by his classmates after he bullies a deaf girl to the point where she moves away. Years later, he sets off on a path for redemption.、Um, so, Tori, if you don't mind being put on the spot since, <laughs> since you're new to the show, would you like to go ahead and start us off? Yeah,、um, oh gosh,、uh, where to start?、Um, Have you seen this? I'm assuming you've seen this before. Oh, yes, yes. This is actually、um, my third time, I believe, watching it just to kind of refresh myself for、um, the podcast. So, I originally、um, I've seen both versions, I've seen the English and the Japanese.、Um, I think, kind of depending on what you feel comfortable with, they both hold up really well.、Uh, the cast, the performances are. Incredible.、Um, and in the English dub, you have the.、Um, oh, there went my thought.、Um, the actress who plays Shoko, which is、uh, our main character who is deaf, that actress is actually deaf herself.、Um, and I don't believe that is the same case in the Japanese dub. So that is a、um, really. That really stuck out to me when I first learned about that. But、um, it is one of those films I think that we can sit down and watch and at some point all relate to with the story of bullying and being bullied. And、um, it gets you, it gets you right in the heart. And、um, it's a very, very emotional, emotional watch for sure. No, absolutely.、Um, Austin, <laughs> what, did, what did you think of it? Oh, man. Well,、um, I, Tori and I first saw it in theaters back when it first came out in, in stateside in like 2017 or so. I think we watched the, the Japanese version back then, but、um, it, was, it, was a, it was a film coming out sort of in、uh, the shadow of、uh, Your Name. Which, is, which was another big, big like, event film for, for anime at the time in, in 2016, 17, that, that time frame, because、um, Your Name was so, 
so big. It was a huge film that it seemed like everyone and their mother went to go see. Um, so another film like A Silent Voice coming out sort of in its shadow was uh, no doubt going to be compared to it. Um, so that was kind of the energy at the time. But I think, I think um, nowadays in hindsight, I think maybe most people would maybe not compare them so much because they're very different films. Like Your Name is very much like a, um, it's like a, a, a big sort of feel-good movie that also tugs on your heartstrings a little bit. But A Silent Voice is very, very difficult to watch in parts. Very not for everyone. If you have a certain, you know, history in your in your growing up, where you might You're be sensitive to certain things, if you <laughs> or were a bully, bully. <laughs> or yeah, exactly. So it it really, it, it's like it can be like sandpaper for some people in in one way or another, but ultimately very cathartic, I think. So in in a way, I kind of appreciate a silent voice a little bit more for being so serious and yet also having this like undeniable twinge of like hopefulness and humanity to it so i just think it's a really excellent film i think most of my issues with it small i would be like in the fact that it is a two-hour movie that adapts like a six volume manga series which goes pretty in depth with a bunch of different characters that we only kind of get to see in the movie so it makes me think, hmm, what would it be like if this was a TV series instead of just a single film? But then again, you know, I don't know how much I really care about that because I think the final product ended up being really good anyway. So, um, no, I really like it. I really, all that to say, I really like the movie. <laughs> so it's a good movie. But, um, yeah, since we, we're, we, we've bound to, we, we've, um, what am I trying to say? Let me start over. Um, yeah, Tori and I, we've we've seen it, we've known about it for a long time, but but you guys, how did how did you guys find this film, and and what did you guys think of it? I'm I'm more more interested in what what you guys, the 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 more anime newbies, what you guys have to think about it. Um, well, to answer where I found it, um, you had sent me an email, uh, like a month ago at this point, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit less, um, where you gave me like a list of a few different uh, directors. And I was looking at it and I was trying to come up with um, the, the content schedule for this month and get some guests lined up and get some things nailed down and stuff like that. And I really just needed to, to come up, you know, with, with the movies kind of as quick as I could on the day that I was planning, it was kind of a busy day. And so I was, well, you guys make all... a lot of content, so I'm sure you have to yeah. schedule. <laughs> um, oh, <love> my idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a it good idea. A lot more on the fly. Um, <laughs> and so I just was looking at the, the directors that you had listed and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to kind of, off the cuff it because you mentioned you know you gave me little notes on all of them and so like i just picked one that you had like specifically mentioned from each of of them or from the from the two that we were discussing um and so that's kind of how both of them got got picked it was a little bit at random i didn't really read the plot synopsis of them before we started watching them 
Um, oh, so did it was, so? Were you oh like taken gosh. off guard? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you picked two doozies to yeah. to go with. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, you really did. <laughs> um, well done. <laughs> I, I know how to pick them. Um, <laughs> so off of that, uh, dear, what did what did you think of? Uh, a silent voice. So at least you got like some kind of description based on that email. I went into this thing completely blind. Wow. I know. I was going into, we started this movie and I was like, all right, let's go. And honestly, like I, I really enjoyed this movie and you are right. This movie is, is a, it's a hard watch to in spots. And there were times when I was like, they're not, they're not going to go that far, are they? And and there were moments where I was like, please don't, you know, like, come on, come on, just, just stay with me here. And it was, it was definitely an interesting journey, especially into, into a subject matter that I'm not very um, familiar with because I am not personally deaf. I, I have, and I've never been bullied to that extent before or, or witnessed that in, in my, in my circle of friends and in the the school that we went to and so it was just it was really like an eye-opening experience to to see you know how cruel people can be in and the fact that like within that group there were still people who were like obviously not okay with with the actions being put upon this this one girl but then also the fact that they weren't willing to to stand up and and to be her voice and and to to be her advocate as well and it was just it was it was really poignant movie um but i do agree with with austin i would have i i felt very episodic in points and i would have loved to like really get more from all of the all of the friends and to really understand their stories more because i felt Mm -hmm. like i i kept losing people's names (laughs) all of the time i know that that's you know from a first watch and and because of the the language barrier but i was like man that one and there's the blonde one and there's the other girl and i was like this is so difficult (laughs) to try and to try and keep it all together but honestly like i thought that the story was really beautiful and i loved the 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 visuals as well of when you know you you get our 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 lead at the end where he's like all of the the x's fall from the faces and like that was such a relatable point you know from you know just being just being human you know having those moments where you're like i don't i don't feel confident and i don't want to put myself forward so instead i'm going to shut myself off from everything to, to 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 keep myself safe and and letting that go and it was just such a beautiful moment i was like yes you know cheering like at the at the end after after all of these hard moments to get through it was it was definitely like a a good ending i was like okay oh i can i can calm my heart down now and (laughs) close this chapter because yeah no um i i really enjoyed this movie it has a it has a very poignant yeah um so I, I thought it was absolutely wonderful. Um, and when we were watching it, you know, it did have that kind of 
episodic feeling. But for me, I was just kind of like, oh, this is just a slice of life, slice of life movie. You know, it's just a, we're watching mm-hmm. people live. I didn't think anything really kind of any more of it because there are plenty of live action films that you can go and, and point to. And, and that's just kind of what it is. You know, you're just dealing with people living. Um, and I really thought that it was very, very well done. It kind of had, um, this may sound a little bit odd, but like a little bit of like a stand by me kind of um, feeling for me when I was watching it of, you know, people sort of yeah. pulled apart by time and circumstance and, mm-hmm. and what they're going through. But then you also slowly sort of, you know, watch this group sort of reform itself as well even if it's somewhat, you know, tenuous, if also just because teenagers are, are, and young adults are volatile people. Um, yeah. And and so it was, it was very emotionally gripping. And then when I went in and realized and did some research and realized that it was an adaptation, I was like, oh, this does make a lot of sense now. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is unique thought- for Yamada because most of the stuff that she's done, at least in the last... 10 years or so wasn't like direct adaptations of things um especially not a manga i think she's adapted some novels before but that's kind of different because you you make up all the visuals kind of whole cloth when you're adapting a, a novel but i'm pretty sure if i'm not wrong this is like the first manga she's adapted which is pretty interesting i think okay um, um. Oh, I was going to say, this may be a little bit of a side tangent. If it is, please let me know. But do you think either of you will go and read the manga now to kind of get that further characterization? Or do you think um, you enjoyed it enough to do that? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I'm probably more interested in reading it than if, I, than if this had been adapted into a TV show. Mm. Okay. If that makes sense. You know, I'm not sure that sitting mm. down and like tuning in weekly for you know like an adaptation of this as as a show i think it works great as a movie and -hmm. i think it would work really well as a book um it's that gray area that i don't think you know if it were ever done would would work as well for me um what about you dear um i think i would want to read it because of the fact that like there's obviously more that you can put into a book than you can ever put on onto screen just in general um and there it goes. There's there's the thought it went. <laughs> I know. Let me tell you. I know. <laughs> um, but no, I, I agree. I could also like this is kind of like lightning in a bottle of a of a film. And I think that um I guess to your point that like I don't know if we could we could recreate this as this as well as it was here with with a with a new version of it in like a in like a show form um but like also you know i'm always down to watch stuff yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean that does seem to kind of be a that's kind of like a um a perpetual um i guess discourse about this movie is that the manga fans which this was an establishedly popular manga whenever the movie Mm -hmm. came out but the movie just kind of exploded and made it sort of like internationally popular um is that they'll be like oh the movie is no good because it cuts out so much material but um i don't agree with that because i think that while the movie feels like it could have done more it's like one of those things where if it had done more in like a tv format like paul said i don't know if it 
necessarily would have been better because I think the restrictions sort of made Yamada like prioritize the the most important things, which was focusing really hard on Shoya and Shoko. Like all the other people matter, and the movie treats them like they do matter. But those are our two main characters, and I think having the primary focus put on their journey is um is the most important thing. So, and I think it is a success in that regard. No, absolutely. Um, have I'm I'm guess have you both read the read the manga? Hey. Uh, <laughs> I um I did several years ago. Um, I unfortunately kind of ran out of time to refresh myself on it, oh, but yeah. um I do remember very much enjoying it when I read it, and everyone's comments about um wanting more and getting it from that i think ring very true so <laughs> i read the first two volumes in preparation for this podcast because i had never read them before i'd just seen the movie and i thought oh i'll just give it a try see how it is um and i don't know if this is a pro or a con necessarily but you guys saying that you both watched the movie basically with no prior knowledge um the manga sets up the fact that shoya is a little crappy kid way, way earlier and doesn't make his bullying feel like so like because in the movie it feels like shoko shows up and he instantaneously becomes like this evil villain you know um but in the book you see him and his friends like acting like fools and like picking on people not as badly but still like being like little crappy kids uh, way earlier so it sort of sets you up for that blow that like oh this girl who is different from everyone else he's going to single her out and pick on her you kind of see that coming whereas in the movie it's just kind of like it's like he sees her and then something snaps in his brain and he just like goes total nuclear feral bully child no that's fair um and i'll say this you know in regards to the to the depiction of bullying and the depiction of life you know as as someone who hasn't seen a lot of anime in general you know even probably the most grounded thing that i had seen before this tokyo godfathers still had some amount of of magical realism or, or a fantastical kind of element to some of that reality um whereas this you really don't get any of that and mm -hmm. and i think that this was a really straightforward and honest sort of depiction of how unintentionally cruel children can be you know um because they obviously know that they're you know he obviously knew i think also on some level that he was doing something wrong but you don't really process it any further than a moment to moment kind of uh view of things you know something that happened a week ago happened a week ago uh, you know, or even something that happened the next, the, the the day before happened the day before. And you can kind of, I think, as a, as a kid, make these little like mental leaps, you know, where you kind of glance past certain things. And, and I thought that this had a really grounded, you know, approach to it. And that's also what made it so uncomfortable was also that it wasn't overly exaggerated, you know, or overly melodramatic in any kind of way. It was very honest simple you know daily acts of of you know even the most limited cruelty but still you know hurtful 
-hmm. And I think that that's what really made it so effectively uncomfortable. Um, And especially because it's not just general run-of-the-mill bullying, you know, kids picking on each other on sort of like even ground so so to speak it's it's a it's a kid specifically targeting targeting a disabled girl and it is only because she is different than he is that he singles her out like nobody else gets treated like like that except for her and because she's different and because she's new and she's like this mysterious thing that he can't understand um both literally and and figuratively. And you see some of the other kids take drastically different approaches to how to deal with this uh, new girl who has uh, this new thing going on with her that they've never experienced before, um, like the like the tall girl who wasn't tall as a kid being like, oh, I will I will volunteer to learn sign language. And the other kids in the class complain about like, why should we have to learn sign language? Shouldn't she learn how to be like us? That's sort of very juvenile way of sort of um, expecting people who are different from you to bend to your will rather than you making sacrifices on their behalf. Um, I was going somewhere profound with that and then I just lost it along (laughs) the way. So if somebody wants to pick up my baton, please run with it. Um, I was going to say that was literally the point I made to you the other day when we were watching this again. I was just like, mm-hmm. it's so frustrating to see able-bodied people force people with different needs and accommodations force to their comfortability and um, instead of helping them with the assistance they, they need. And uh, because they themselves don't want to be uncomfortable because they've never really been uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And um, I think it's portrayed, I was just thinking too, like it's, it's portrayed so realistically. And I feel like when you look at like American TV shows or American movies, like specifically, it's just like, oh, your Instagram post was ugly. And that's like the extent of the bullying that they go through. You know what I mean? Um, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of examples that aren't that, but um, I just think the, the realness of the way the treatment that she goes through in this movie just comes across so painful um, and real. And she reacts to it in such a wide range of emotions, like, throughout the movie. Like, even as a kid, like, she goes from being like, yes, I know I'm different, please stop picking on me, to, you know, whenever she, you know, is, like, on top of... Um, show you like beating him and being like I'm trying the best I can which broke my heart by the way made me cry hate that scene <laughs> I mean love that scene but I hate it <laughs> yeah. well it's also you know such a such a um, you can you can pull it into to kind of any any otherization category as well you know not just the you know these these able-bodied kids but it's also you know the idea of anybody who is different in any way being being otherized. You know it can be mm-hmm. somebody who just doesn't speak the same language as you, or somebody who looks different than you do. You know all of these these things that you can't change about yourself being targeted by others, and them wanting you to change yourself to to fit their needs. You know it's something that's been going on for so long, and it, even even in our own you know, American history has, has pers- pro- 
oh gosh, I had a word and it, it's gone. Um, it has persisted, there we go, throughout generations. And it is, it is so just frustrating to, to watch it happen, especially from a perspective that we don't get that often, from the, from the bully's perspective. You know, we, we, we get a lot of these stories from, from the victim and how they feel about it. And the bully is just the bully and they continue to, to never change throughout the story. Whereas um, he gets to, to have this growth of, of, you know, this realization of, of how, how horrible he's been to her and in, in trying desperately basically to, to not only um, win back you know, that, that, that he's lost, but also kind of regain some respect of himself and some love for himself, because also throughout this entire journey, he is, he is experiencing a lot of self-loathing because of his actions, because of how people perceive him because of his past. And it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting, you know, fully, fully formed narrative of, of all of these people doing different paths in order to, to love themselves, basically, in the end. No, yeah, um, very, very well said. Um, and you know, it it on the on the it has the the difficult parts of humanity, but it also has some of the some of the best parts of humanity on display as well. That that pull the heart in a different direction, with you know, um, you know, simple acts of of apologies and and forgiveness, you know, and of of the love that that family has for each other um and the way that sometimes the things that you think are irreparably damaged you know are still salvageable you know are still fixable mm -hmm. uh, if you're just willing to put yourself out there and and be empathetic and and do the work to rebuild whatever it is that you think mm -hmm. um has been damaged and so it's a very emotionally complex movie. Honestly, it was really, mm -hmm. it was really wonderful. And it has so many different emotional perspectives on it too, because like the journey that Shoya goes through with trying to reconcile with Shoko is like a very different dynamic than the one where like Shoko's mother has a hard time forgiving Shoya for what he did. And she never says it out, out loud, but she probably thinks Shoko is being very naive for allowing this boy to, like, get into her life again and, like, pot potentially ruin it again like he did when they were little kids. So she has a tough time reconciling with that. Uh, likewise with uh, Sho uh, Shoko's uh, sister, her younger sister, like, being very protective over, over her because they come at it from we we think we know what's best for you and we want to protect you, which goes against Shoko's instinct of wanting to be more forgiving, um, which also sort of comes into conflict with Shoko's own sort of personal feelings of self-loathing, how she has sort of internalized a lot of these things that happen to her as her fault because she is different, quote-unquote. She, she thinks that if only she had been, quote-unquote, normal these things wouldn't have happened rather than people are just being mean to you for no reason it's just that she hasn't really come to that realization yet and it affects the way that she interacts with other people so there's just so many so much complex dynamics going on here and the dynamic with um with um 
the poofy haired kid. Like he he just he he meets Shoya and like puts him on this pedestal because he's like the only guy that would be nice to him. So you get to see all of these characters from so many different perspectives, except for what's her name, the long haired, a uh, darker haired girl. She's she's kind of mean. She's kind of mean. Yeah. mean. She just kind of sour girl. Stays mean. Yeah. <laughs> frustrating even to yeah. the end i was like why can't you just just try just well and like yeah so they give you that one little i guess i guess it's supposed to be that sort of like morsel of the fact that like against her better nature she is trying where she like signs moron at the end oh yeah <laughs> and yeah. like i guess that's meant to be her little glimmer of like yeah we're slowly yeah. thawing that that ice yeah. heart of yours but like in, instead of shoko <laughs> getting upset she's just like no you signed it wrong it's like this if you're gonna, if you're insult... gonna insult me do it right yeah. yeah that's what you said whenever we watched it Tori. it's, it's very yeah. funny baka <laughs> That, that scene in the in the Ferris wheel, I was I was like furious. <laughs> I know. Just push her oh out. Gosh. <laughs> push her out. Open that door and just. <laughs> I was really wondering about that because thinking about it this time, I didn't really think about it that much whenever we first watched it. But was like Shoko in on it? Was she, she like? Trying to spy on her? Like, why does she have her camera on? Like, what what was the deal think... with that? It was something to do with the little sister. Like somebody had a camera somewhere. I don't yeah. know if they had. I, I don't sister, know. It was clear, but it was something. The with sister the has the sister. camera, mm-hmm. and she asks her to like take it for her because she goes somewhere. I think, mm-hmm. and I my assumption oh. was that she left it on, yeah. or like, that she wanted to eavesdrop. Mm. And knew that, like you know, her sister was going to be. That was sort of my I, I reading had no of it. Idea that it was You're probably right. Also, I mm-hmm. thought that you know she had taken it up there specifically to, like, maybe I don't know, like, use it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Valid just, point as well. That just never happened. Yep. But it's because you know, Ice Queen was there, being a being a horrible tormentor. So. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, since we also have a another movie, I'm enjoying the conversation, but. You know, I don't want to yammer too long. Uh, so if if you it's guys the danger had... of bringing me on the show, I'm sorry. The danger of having you two together. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, uh, if if you guys uh, and we'll, we'll we'll go, I guess, in order of, of speakers. So Tori, uh, if you had mm-hmm. to rate it out of five, what would you give? Okay. I want to preface and say I'm in a, a very emotional rater. And that's the scale that I operate on. I would 100% give this movie a five, despite some of its characterization and pacing issues. Um, it's a five for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. Any any answer is valid, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Austin, how about yourself? I think previously, based on the first time I saw it, I would have given it like a four, but I think it's getting closer to a five, actually, because there's so much that I like about it that sort of eclipses any any small problems I might have with it. And just over the years, I've grown to respect Yamada so much as a director, just watching most, like, I think at this point, I've seen most of the things that she's done, at least the big stuff. And I just love her style. Like, she's just so good. Like, her style is so unique. It's so, like... It's so, like, focused on, like, human emotions and trying to get those conveyed, which can be really difficult in animation. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, yeah. 
you can't really rely on actors to like do it for you. You have to make it. And she's able to do that so well. So yeah, I, I gotta say it's closer to a five. All right. Uh, dear, what about you? Oh gosh, now I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go a four and a half. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a half point off, but Overall, I think that it is like a truly fantastic, wonderful piece of piece of art, and people should watch it. But you know, I guess caution. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I will be wearing. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I I'll go I'll go four and a half as well. Um, very very impactful. Definitely something that, you know, if you ever should choose to embark upon it, you know, definitely be wary of it. Um, on a certain level, I don't know what it's rated, um, but, like, I think this is something that, like, kids should be exposed to, um, if only just because of, of how well it handles some of the, um, mm -hmm. some of the emotional complexity of it in a way that I don't think would really go over a lot of kids' heads. You know, I don't think that it's so heady and so brainy that, like, it would be lost on people. Um, and not, like, you know, small kids, but, you know, like... Preteens? Yeah, like 12-year-olds, you know, yeah. that kind yeah. of thing, yeah. Um, because, yeah, I, I think that it could be a really valuable empathy tool for yes. people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely true. Thing that I loved was the, 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 the brother-in-law, the, the son-in-law cameo. <laughs> yes! Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're just like, there. <laughs> just, out of now, as, as far as I've read in the manga, yeah. Yeah, as far as I've read in the manga, he's also equally as mysterious in the in the manga too. So it's like he doesn't really get much screen time. He's just kind of like, hello, and then just kind of <laughs> zips out. Um. Well, that was a that was a great talk. Do you guys want to do your your history lesson on the next director uh, now or after we after we've done the clip? Either either way, sir, you're the host. Sure. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and give y'all a clip for uh, Machia when the promised flower blooms. Uh, quite the title. And as always, we have a clip. So take a listen. 数百年の長い命の中で夜ふの民は日々を織り続けるラララ弱虫どうして泣いてるんだい so that was uh, Makia When the Promised Flower Blooms. Uh, it is directed by uh, Marie Okada and it stars, uh, uh, it's written by Marie Okada as well. Um, it stars Manaka Iwami, Miyu Irino, uh, Yoko Hikasa, uh, Hiroaki Hirata, uh, and
and the premise is escaping war, a young girl finds a lone surviving infant and decides to raise him as her son. Uh, before we turn this over for the history lesson, I just would like to say that synopsis undersells a lot of what the actual plot of this movie is. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... That, that may be what the movie's about, but that's not really what the movie's about. <laughs> yeah, and we're missing a lot of other key context bits there. So, oh, yeah. uh, why don't you guys go ahead, and before we start talking too much about the movie, why don't you tell us about uh, mm-hmm. Marie Okada? Well, Tori, would you like to? Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. she actually is most well known for um, being a writer, a screenwriter specifically. Um, she has done a number of famous works. I think her most well-known one besides Machia would be Anohana, which um, also kind of hits a lot of the same beats that I think Machia does. Um, and what else do I say about her? Um, she is probably one of, if not the most well-known uh woman in the industry as far as writing and creating goes um am i oh were you getting somebody getting a call i'm sorry yeah it was me sorry blame my dad (laughs) (laughs) oh no i think you froze oh no tori froze i'm gonna blame you austin my okay. dad, my my dad called so hard it it froze you, Tori. Yeah, I just got my internet connections unstable. Thanks. Oh, oops. <laughs> Sorry, um, hold on. I I think he's okay. He's just probably calling me if I want dinner, but I I I I don't eat. Uh, not during a podcast. Um. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, please continue. Show. I'm sorry. Do you want to pick up where I left off? Because that. Well, if you um, kind of wanted it, <laughs> if you wanted to sort of finish your thought, and I can I can pick pick up afterwards. Oh yeah, um, I uh, like I said, I think she is probably the most well known uh, name when it comes to women creating in the anime and in the anime industry, and um, I have a bone to pick with her because every thing that I watch of hers ends up making me sob like a little baby. So, um, quite, quite the woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that, that's basically it, her career in a nutshell, for sure. I mean, she's extremely prolific. Like she has written the screenplay for a ton of different, really popular things. In addition to some of her more original work, like, um, I think she wrote the script for Black Butler, which was really popular back in the day. She wrote the script for um, some Fate Stay Night adaptations, um, and she's just a she's just a huge workhorse. Like her screenplay writing um, in adaptive work, just just pages and pages of work. Um, but then a lot, like in the last like decade or so, she's really been focusing on more original properties. Um, like Anthem of the Heart, Anohana, which has an equally long name as Makia. What is it? Anohana, um, the flower we saw that day or something like that. Yeah, something and, off um, the wall. <laughs> then there's, she, she, she likes really long titles, which I, I respect. Um, 
But yeah, Maki has her directorial debut, actually. The first time she's really been in the director's chair. But she has like 20 plus years of experience being a screenplay writer. And like Tori said, is is probably out of the um, women screenplay writers in anime working today, she's probably the most recognizable by name. Okay. Interesting. Um, would you guys like to, to start us off again, or, or would you like us to, to kick off on this one? You guys kick it off. I'm, yeah, I'm very curious what it. you guys think of this film. So <laughs> okay. please, let, it, let us know. Give us your, your hot take. Dear, would you like to, or, or would you like me to... Sure, I can, I can go. Um, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, I, I always really enjoy anime because they, they can, you know, like, like Tori said earlier, they can do so many things that live action can't do. They can, and they're, they're so creative when it comes to just, just the idea of what a story can be. And I just I loved all of the the like medieval magical creatures and the and the like the land of basically the elves from um, Rivendell that live in the sky <laughs> um, and they communicate with with stories that they weave and it was just like so beautiful and interesting um, and this journey that she takes with with this with this boy which she basically can like you know, live forever at a certain extent, you know, she has such a long life compared to, to humans and like the, the reality of raising a human child and like watching him grow as she doesn't age at all. And it's just, it was such a, like a heartbreaking, but a beautiful story. And like her journey of figuring out what it means to be a mother through all of this and it just yeah that that sentence just completely undersold this movie yes. <laughs> conveniently <laughs> left out the immortality bit <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, the, changes the whole dynamic the journey of like her friends that get you know they all get displaced from their homeland and their different paths that they take and, and the the one who, who ends up being princess, but like also a captive at the same time and like her descent into madness. And it's just, it's so interesting. I was like, this is like Game of Thrones, but anime. I was like, this, yeah. is, this is great. I, I really enjoyed the the ride um, of this movie a lot. I I also just loved the visuals. I thought that the, the whole, the, the whole aesthetic was, was really just like pleasing to the eye this kind of like softness to the to the, the background world as like everything had like a very distinct and clear um uh cultural identity as well and i just really enjoyed like fully immersing myself in this story it was great you um so I, I, I think, I, I feel like I remember that I picked this one because it was specifically, you know, mentioned uh, in the email that you sent that it was her directorial debut. And so I was like, all right, you know, let's go for it. And again, I didn't look at anything about it. You, I think, mentioned when I told you what we were doing, uh, prefaced that it was going to be like both, that both films are going to be very emotional. And... After the first one, we watched them um, uh, Monday night and Tuesday night. Is that right? Yes. So after the first one, I was like, okay, 
they're both going to be emotional. The last one was like this slice of life, sort of, you know, very grounded, very real story. This next one is going to be probably something kind of like that. And so when we kicked off and it was immediately this magical world and all of this fantastical element, I was like, well, we just did a, a full about face, you know, sort of <laughs> in, in just sort of the world overall. But I thought that they both ended up having, you know, the thing that really struck me as we were going through it um, is that it was so profoundly personal and and very very um bittersweet and on a certain level i found this kind of weird thematic connectivity between both of them in the sense that so much of them are about you know just at their core the human condition you know what it is to be alive what it is to to live with other people to to interact with other people and how relationships change over time and um it was, it was, the other one, you know, hit me on an emotional level in, in one particular way, but this one really, um, this one really left me very melancholic, you know, on a certain level at the end. The other one has some of that sort of move toward positive growth at, at the end of it. And this one, you know, she finds, not to get into what the ending is, but she finds solace in what the ending of the movie is. Um, but it's it's a tough pill, you know? Like, it's that very hard, hard truth about reality, which is that things end. Um, and and it, it, it's pretty devastating. <laughs> um, yeah. what, did, what did y'all think of it? Tori? Oh, sure. Um, weirdly enough, this is a comfort movie for me. Um, <laughs> I think I could get that. I think I could understand yeah. that. Um, but as far as speaking about it, gosh, where do I start? Like everything, um, kind of like you both said, when I first went into this, because Austin and I saw it together in the theater as well when it first came out, I um, what the poster gave me versus what I got in the film which is two completely different things and um you know i'm pretty sure we went into it blind as well yeah like, we I didn't think, know anything about it either i think <laughs> i knew i think i knew it was a mario kata thing yeah so i, I prepared myself for there to be lots Same. of scenes of of loud sobbing she likes yes. to do that big yeah. tears she loves yeah. that but other than that you're right we didn't really know too much right and um i can remember sitting in the theater and being so proud of myself because like i said you know most everything i've seen of hers has just gotten this really big emotional reaction out of me didn't cry everything was fine loving it and then the ending happened and it was just like downpour on my face it was it was so bad but um the and i know i spoke you know about interpersonal relationships and dynamics but i, I think the way that uh, mario kata does it is so strong and so different um, than what Naoko Yamada does. Um, and seeing everything play out in this movie and uh, like the the traveling Eorf guy said, you know, a child taking on a child, that's a very scary, um, very scary thing. And I'm well into my adult years and I couldn't imagine having the responsibility of taking care of a child like that, especially when all this war is going on and, um things like that and 
Um, I'm thankful that there are a few comedy scenes because everything else just hits so heavily that it's nice to be able to to laugh like um, in the barn where she's trying to feed the baby milk and she's like, I don't understand how this works. <laughs> and um, I know she's just like so stressed out and tired and probably hungry and just everything that she's just crying because she's so confused and I'm like, oh, come here, you babies, come here. Um, but, <laughs> um, gorgeous, gorgeous emotional movie and it definitely makes you come to terms with some things that you might not be ready to come to terms with in life, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that particular um barn scene with the goat and the baby is the one that I because I have a I have a a panel that I do at conventions called 10 anime movies you may have missed and um I guess just generally speaking about the popularity of this movie within the anime sphere overall it, it's kind of a hidden gem like not a lot of people know about this one um I just think it's kind of slipped through the cracks maybe it's not a huge crowd pleaser maybe it's too sad for people I I don't know but it, it hasn't really hit like the mainstream even though it's you know, pretty popular. Um, but anyway, I, I, I use I use that goat clip as part of my, my panel whenever I talk about this movie, and it, it always gets a good laugh. Because, one, it, it's really cute and really funny. And two, I mean, it, it's kind of indicative of the film overall. It's like this girl who has no idea what she's doing, who's in this, like, very uh, difficult, like, personal context of where she knows because because of her i guess her her fantasy biological condition of not being able to die or is effectively immortal and the fact that like her culture has taught her not to get attached to anything other than her people because she's always going to end up being alone if she does just trying to navigate this world that she's never um really experienced before um and doing it in a very traumatic way she didn't just like decide to leave her town like uh, Bilbo Baggins style off on a big adventure it's like she was forced out through war like a very traumatic event where like a, where she basically has survived a genocide and then she has to take care of this baby so um, it's it is a very um, um, I guess it's I guess it's like a broadly intense movie because it's got all these things brewing in the background but a different kind of intensity from a silent voice whereas that's very that's like very very personal very up close whereas this more movie is a little bit more abstracted but it still does have a lot of those like personal like big emotional pulls i think especially with the relationship between her and her son and how that evolves over time no absolutely and you know with uh when we were watching it you know and it's this regularly people talk about how there have been fewer and fewer mythical and magical things in the world and that like the last sort of remnants of magic are are dying out and on a certain level that almost i think reads into the character's own journey of you know of of understanding the world and of growing up um, because as as you're when you are a legitimate child, things do seem so much more sort of big and, and spectacular and have that sort of magical quality to you. Uh, and and you believe in certain things that, you know, as you get older, you realize aren't true and and the world itself becomes less magical. And so, you know, that 
that undercurrent throughout it also felt very tied to her own narrative as you were going through it. Um, and it also made me think of, you know, Lord of the Rings, where you're at like the end of the third age and, and magic is kind of leaving the world. And it's this sort of, um, this sort of weird spot, you know, of, of being left with reality for whatever reality is, you know, mm -hmm. that is always, not always a very comforting thing either. Mm -hmm. And I do think it is really interesting that they wanted to go or that Mario Kata wanted to go with this sort of big fantasy epic sort of story um, that is, it's big fantasy epic in like trappings and context, but it's a deeply personal story. Um, really ties in with kind of all the all of the creative freedom that she was given on this project, um, because basically her supervisors at PA Works were like, "We want you to do a," and she she said this multiple times, and this is how they contextualized it: a one hundred percent Mario Kata movie. So she basically makes a she basically makes her own JRPG world, and then tells a story about motherhood, not about slaying dragons, or not about you know, finding the magical crystals and summoning the, the great tree. Um, I'm actually doing that in Dragon Quest Eleven right now. Um, but, uh, but makes it a deeply personal story about motherhood, which I think is, is really, um, really brilliant. And um, I guess, fun fact, I guess, because he doesn't really work a lot in, in animated works, the character designer for this is the same guy that designs most of the characters for... Um, Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO, and he's also worked on like near the near franchise and um, Final Fantasy Tactics. So I think it's pulling on Mario Kata being a big video game nerd as well, because she definitely was. She was kind of a a loner child and played a lot of video games. So lots of different elements of herself going on here, which I really appreciate. Um, I think there's always something to be had whenever any creator puts a lot of themselves into a film because that's when you know it feel it's like a really genuine expression of of the kind of art and the kind of story they want to tell i think that the story also is kind of like that old adage of the you know if you love something you have to let it go you know um because mm -hmm. it's it's married not only with with her journey with with her child but also the the whole um the magic is leaving and and things are dying and we we can't keep it and the the the, the king's idea of of keeping all of these dragons in 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 cages to try and hold on to it as, as tightly as possible but that ends up you know being a detrimental thing because they keep they just keep dying off because of their you know their their will to live is is fading because of the fact that they don't have the freedom. So like the very thing like he wants to keep because of it's a symbol of power, he's actually killing it as as the story goes on. And it's also And with the Eorf as well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it is kind of this this whole like you have to to let things go. You have to let things be themselves and and you know, if you love something you have to to set it free or else it'll never truly be able to to reach its, its fullest potential and be the thing that you love again if you smother it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's just a, a really beautiful story because also at a certain point, like in her son's life, she does just let him live. You know, he she let she she goes off and she does her own journey and he gets to like, you know, have an, an the rest of his his tale basically 
to to figure out his own path without having you know her constantly you know being being there and then that's that's also our our journey in life as well because like we can't stay under our parents wing for for our whole life we have to go out and and experience the world for for ourselves and and figure out who we are without without them you know take the Mm -hmm. lessons that they've given us and and you know step forward on our own two two feet and so it is just kind of this beautiful tale of like even even at that point you know she was ready to let to let go but he wasn't and it's just you know this constant you know back and forth of of this just beautiful journey and I just I really enjoyed this movie a lot um it is it is so so sad but I think that it it earns that sadness and in spades because it's it's also very cathartic in that Mm. you know because I we've all experienced you know loss of of some degree you know that was truly hard and I think that this movie has this kind of like nice coming around of that emotion and like understanding that like you can be sad but happy at the same time mm-hmm. yeah definitely and you are right she does do a lot of like hard crying <laughs> <laughs> Big time. you could just but do like, like her... a mario i'm sure someone's probably done it on youtube but like a mario kata anime cry compilation she does mm-hmm. it a lot it's like one of her big things, which which oh, I respect. Yeah. And it's like oh, the gosh. character's like whole thing for like a while of her just yeah. being like, I just I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry because that is like my just weeping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My response mm-hmm. to anything is just I'm, I think I'll cry about it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was just thinking as everyone was talking, like if we, if if you wanted to do like a deep dive research analysis on this, you could do like a comparison between like all the different dynamics of uh, parenthood and how that's portrayed in this, because you see, mm-hmm. you see like the dynamic between, I guess, um, um, of course, um, Makia and Ariel. Then you also see the dynamics between um, the mother that she meets in the town that helps her out and like her two kids. And then also you could contrast that against the, uh, the relationship between uh, the king and his, and the prince. Um, so there's like a, so many different like parenthood dynamics going on here that that are really interesting and all different. It's like they're not all the same. Um, so it, it's just a lot to a lot to chew on. No, yeah, and also you know going into into when Ariel then becomes a parent in this moment of yeah you know him him talking to to Data and being like you know yeah we have to we have to teach our child to love as we were taught to love and you know it's, it's a cycle it's a continuous thing of, of and she's you know, like i'm i'm sorry i picked on you for saying you liked your mom <laughs> no yeah yes. it's such a, such a sweet <laughs> moment too and like yeah. after she like helps her give birth to yeah. and in the middle and then just, of the war just pieces out, in the like, middle of gone. the war oh my gosh, <laughs> De- oh my gosh guys deus ex machia <laughs> hey i'm out see ya when like they you know had like their when they met up to start dinner and then the siege started and he ran off i literally like leaned over to lord and i was like 
I swear to God, if she goes into labor during this <laughs> match. <laughs> uh, and I was like, well, yeah. I mean, stress is. induces labor. So, I mean. <laughs> True. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What is the next logical beat in this story is, well, I have a pregnant person, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's time. Yeah. Drama time. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah, and that's an interesting movie. Yeah, and that, and that uh, talk about different outcomes. It's like, well, we begin the story with um you know, the invasion of the Eorf people and it and it sort of and we see like their captive their like post-genocide and their like resistance and their captivity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then it ends with like ostensibly like the end of the war, I guess, maybe. Um so it's like there there's all these cycles, but the arc bent towards peace, I guess, which is, I guess, a kind of a hopeful message. And it honestly yeah. kind of goes right back to kind of where we started almost in a sense of like, we started on that farm and then we get to end on that farm, but this time it's yeah. not during wartime. It's like during actually like a, a, a time of peace and, and prosperity. And it's just like, it's really interesting. Well, and you know, she had the flight that took her away on her journey that was not her choosing that was this accident you know of this dragon that was in one of the one of the like fits of rage or what have you um and then conversely when she when she leaves she's in control of one and she's actively choosing mm. to fly away and so again it's this sort of you know mirrored elements of of the narrative at large uh and this repetitious cycle of it um mm -hmm. also i was gonna say you know when we were watching a silent voice my one of my first thoughts as we were watching it was like oh you know this is just a, a slice of life thing it's, it's not like some big expansive thing and then when i was watching this again i didn't have any background information anything like that i was like this has to be based on something <laughs> <laughs> uh oops <laughs> yeah no, yeah, you had, a, you had a little backwards, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Where I was like, no, this feels, this feels like it could be longer. I was like, no, this is perfect, though. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. need anything else. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a reasonable assumption because it feels like there's, there's this grand world. You feel like it's like a story happening, like, inside of a much bigger work like i mentioned jr i mentioned jrpgs i mean it literally just feels like a jrpg world that this small little story is happening in um which i think is really difficult to pull off like big fantasy scale in like a short like one-off movie like i'm trying to think of anything that i know of that's like short form that really sells me on a fantasy world i can't think of anything um, I read a book recently, and I won't delve too much into it, but it kind of was the same thing, where it's like one little story. It's called The Empress of Salt and Fortune, I believe, by Nevo. Um, and it basically is a little small story and like a big overarching mm. type thing, and it was very, very good. Hmm. 
Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Well, I think that that really goes back to having like a, a fully formed idea and, you know, getting getting to see all aspects of that idea but at the end of the day like she she set the rules of this world so precisely and stuck with them and and got to explore it in in such an interesting way that like it does feel so much bigger whereas like you know i've seen so many movies where i'm like you you you've broken the rules of your of your of your film so many times over that i don't yeah. even know what i'm supposed to <laughs> take away from this anymore you know, mm -hmm. I can't fully immerse myself in it because you, you, you don't remember basic things about your own world anymore. You know, mm -hmm. I and I just, I just really, I really enjoyed it. But that's also, I think, because of the fact that like she, she got to write it and direct it, and that it is mm -hmm. truly like a fully formed thought. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, absolutely. Um, dear, if you had to rate Machia what would you what would you give it i'm giving this movie a five <laughs> <laughs> i really loved it um again i just every every part of this was like just i couldn't look away i was i was ready for the next moment i was in this to, for the for the end and like when the end got there it, it struck me like right in the heart like after we finished this movie i was like i'm fine i'm fine <laughs> It's, 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 it's such a beautiful story about motherhood, <laughs> you know, and I, yeah, I just, I really love this movie a lot. No, yeah, um, I think I'll give it a five as well. Uh, honestly, I think that both of these are movies that I will go back to. Um, I think that they were both very, very well done. You know, I won't go back to a silent voice probably as often. Um, <laughs> But I, I think that these were both really fantastic films. Um, you know, there's a, and, and, and in particular with Machia, there's, you know, a storytelling term that everyone tells you, uh, when, especially when you're trying to do something very big, which is um, big canvas, small, small story, you know. Use as much as you want, make it as big as you want, but make sure that it's personal and grounded. Um, and I think that that's definitely what this managed to achieve. You know, it wasn't about the the who's a doodles and the gormagons. You know, it's <laughs> it's about people. You know, it's about relationships and dynamics. And I think that that's definitely what what really sells it in the day. And it's also again very it's it's very stunning. It's a very different art style than. Um, a silent voice, um, but I liked this sort of um, softness to it. Yeah. Um, and it also still had these very big, bright, vibrant colors, and I thought that it was, I thought that it was really enjoyable. Uh, what about you two? I was afraid you wouldn't like the art style because, like, nobody has a nose. Like, I know... <laughs> unless they're in profile. Yeah, unless they're that one military captain. Yes. Who was like the only down. one who has. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from the beginning where she like holds the baby and I was like, this baby doesn't have a nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just blends in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, what, what would y'all give it? Oh, uh, no hesitation. It's a five-star movie for me. It's nearly perfect in every way, and I definitely agree. Had it been a fantasy story about 
political war and dragons, I don't think I would have enjoyed it nearly as much, but doing something about the power of motherhood and loss and things like that in that fantasy setting, just, oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. I remember we, Tori and I, we did a podcast as soon as we watched it in theaters, like two or three years ago. And I remember having a problem with this movie, but I don't remember what that problem was. So I guess I don't have that problem anymore. Um, so I guess that's a good sign. I, I guess I got to agree with you guys. I mean, I think it's a five star movie. Like it really is quite good. And if you are um, a type of person to enjoy really emotional experiences or resonate with like deeply personal stories like this, I think there's a lot to like here. And it makes me really excited for... Um, Whatever Mario Kata decides to make next, I mean, it seems like this movie was really successful for her, so I hope she gets to sit in the director's chair some more uh, more often um, and make some other really cool and um, undoubtedly very emotionally charged uh, content. So I'm really excited. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess, Paul, from your perspective, like, how, how, how was this for a directorial debut? Um... You know, director director debuts are so interesting, I think, because so often they are that filmmaker kind of at their at their most raw. Um, and so like you go back and you look at something, you know, for a sort of very different example, you look at something like Clerks. And Kevin Smith has never really made another movie quite like Clerks. You know, you go back and you can see all of the sort of Kevin Smith-isms, mm -hmm. but he's never really made something quite like Clerks since then. Um, same with Tarantino with, like, Reservoir Dogs. It's all there, but it's this um, rougher, sort of less polished, um, but absolutely them piece of, of, of work and, and piece of art. And so I think that if this is, you know, her, her sort of big debut and her, and knowing that she has also written before, um, I think it's a really, really strong debut. I definitely welcome seeing more of her work. Um, I could definitely also see how she could get better from here. You know, I think that that sounds weird after we all gave it like a five. Um, but I, I think that there are absolutely ways that you could see that she could, you know, continue to grow and continue to elevate um, on on what she already has done so incredibly well. Um, and this this was a, a hell of a of a first outing, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I guess that's pretty much all that we have in terms of the the main review and discussion. Um, We'll, we'll wrap up with our usual sort of uh, end of the show bit. First, I would like to uh, make an announcement for our listeners. If you don't follow us on social media, um, I teased this on last week's episode because I found out last week. Uh, I am now an official member of the North Carolina Film Critics Association. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very pumped. Thank you. <laughs> um, it was, you know, uh, one thing that I've been wanting to do if you've been listening to the show for a while has been sort of not stop doing what we do, but also include 
you know, newer content and getting those sort of advanced screening opportunities and things like that so that we can get a little bit ahead of the eight ball and, and not be so beholden specifically to the past, even though I absolutely love the past. Um, and I love sharing film history with everyone. Um, but it's a really good positive first step. I'm very excited. Um, I'm excited to be, you know, a part of this network and to meet new people and, and potentially have new people on the show. Uh, and also a, a big shout out for why I got in definitely goes out to a friend of the show, Nick Delgadillo, uh, who wrote me an absolutely lovely letter of recommendation. Um, I was kind of in like a weird headspace the day that, uh, I sat down to, to do my application and I read his letter of recommendation for me. Uh, and it, it nearly made me cry. Um, and so it was absolutely lovely and, and big thanks to Nick for that. Um, beyond imposter, that, imposter syndrome can be a heck of a thing. And sometimes you need somebody <laughs> else's, somebody else's, uh, perspective to, uh, snap you out of it a bit. No, that's absolutely fair. Um, and, and that definitely did that. It was, it was very sweet and I absolutely owe him big four for every lovely thing that he said about me. He's a very smart guy. Um, and he's a great writer. So if you haven't gone and checked out any of Nick's work, you only know him from the show. Definitely go and, and read what he has on his website and all of that. Um, beyond that, I guess we'll talk about what we've been watching. Um, I'll let you guys kick that off. So what are some stuff that y'all have been watching, reading, playing? Ooh, you go first, Tori. Oh, no. Um, I feel like my brain just always exits whenever somebody asks me this question. Um, watching, I started uh, a few nights ago um, this new film. It's a Hulu exclusive uh, with Sebastian Stan in it, and it is touted as like a dark comedy horror film. I believe it's called Fresh. Um, yeah very intrigued by where that's going so i'm excited to finish that up um reading uh just started a book called the inheritance games which is kind of like knives out meets ready or not um a lot of fun with that one and uh catching up on disenchantment the newest season of disenchantment so that's kind of okay. where i'm living right now <laughs> Doesn't sound um, too bad. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> For me, most of my media lately has been video game related. You know, uh, at as the at the recording of this podcast, Elden Ring came out like last week. Um, but I, I made a vow to myself that I had to beat at least Dark Souls three or Sekiro before I bought Elden Ring. So I'm actually playing through both of them. We'll see which one I get through uh, the quickest. I'm a really big. <laughs> I, I'm a really big Bloodborne fan. That's like my second favorite video game of all time. Um, so, you know, and Elden Ring, excuse me, uh, Sekiro and, and Dark Souls are a bit different, but uh, still enjoyable. So I've been putting a lot of hours into that in addition to a few other things. Um, but what I've been watching recently, um, a friend of mine turned me on to some um, Adult Swim programming that I had missed over the years. Um, specifically a show called uh, Joe Para Talks With You. And it is basically this uh, these short 11-minute episodes of this very mild-mannered um, upper Midwest uh, choir teacher who in every episode just talks to you about things. 
and it is very interesting and uh very quiet but very funny situations um not your typical like bombastic gross out weird stuff that you get from adult swim which don't get me wrong i like that stuff too um but joe para is very downplayed and uh very very funny because of that really unique show um i watched like maybe a season and a half in like i don't know two or three days they're really short episodes but it's just like once you start watching it you you kind of can't stop um and in that regard too also speaking of adult swim i've gone back and watched um Space Ghost Coast to Coast, which is just a ridiculous show that I love so much. It's so so dumb. I like it quite a bit. Okay. <laughs> um, well, on our end, uh, I mean, not terribly much. We've watched some Jeopardy. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, nice. Thing that we've, we've been watching, honestly. Yeah. Um, because I'm at home and, and Lauren uh, has to go to the office whenever I'm home alone and, and working, I'm usually also, I, I put something on in the background, typically. And so, like, yesterday I watched uh, 89 Batman. Uh, today I watched Batman Returns. Um, <laughs> and Which one's last... better, Paul? Um, okay, so I like, <laughs> I ultimately give both of them a five. Excellent. Um, but I think that um, I actually I think technically I gave Batman a four and a half on on Letterboxd, but that's neither mm. here nor there. Um, <laughs> I think they're both great. I think the thing that brings down the first one just a hair is that it is a little bit more tame, and also I'm not sure that Kim Basinger is as into it um, as everyone else is. Mm. And then with Batman Returns, though. It's so much more dialed up, you know, everything about it is sort of turned that little bit up. The camp is, is more turned up. It's spinning like three different villain plates. You know, you've got like Oswald Cobblepot, Max Shrek and Selena Kyle, like all happening at the same time. And it just kind of lets Batman be Batman, you know, like it doesn't try and, and dig too deep into Bruce's psyche any further. It's like, all right, yeah. we've established him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Batman, go. <laughs> um, and I, I think that it's really, I think the design of it's even better. Um, and I, I ultimately think that, I think they're both absolutely fantastic. I think that I do ever so slightly prefer Returns. Um, so the only other uh, thing that we've been watching lately, though, is we did go out to theaters last night with uh, my parents and we saw The Batman, uh, the new Matt Reeves film. Have you all seen that one yet? Tomorrow. Uh, okay. <laughs> I won't yep. say anything further. Yes. Um, <laughs> Dang, we should have done this tomorrow. Well, we couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, but I want to, you know, pick your brains about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Be sure to, to let us know what y'all think. Will do. Uh, I will say that I really enjoyed it. Um, but I think Matt Reeves is is pretty unparalleled as a, as a director. I don't know that he's ever really had, for me, as a director, a miss. Um, even if I don't think War of the Planet of the Apes is as good as Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I still think that War of the Planet of the Apes is absolutely fantastic. Um, 
That's the third one, right? Incredible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, with Woody Harrelson, where they all yes. go mute. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that he's absolutely tremendous. Um, and I, I, I wasn't disappointed by his take on Batman at all. And that's all that I'll say on that. So that mm. y'all don't get, get to hear on that. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is my, my, my favorite um, Zoe Kravitz performance that mm. I've ever seen. So I think that she really like, she didn't, you know, go outside of her usual type, but I think that it's just like, it's, it's just really good. I think she does a phenomenal job. Honestly, like there's a point where like, I forgot that, you know, it's Zoe Kravitz. <laughs> yeah. so i think that, that really said something no yeah that's that's a good bit of praise does um, the does the mask work better in the movie than it works in the promos because i gotta say i'm not a fan her of mask? it yeah her mask or the like the cut up um, like ski mask thing i, I don't know i don't I know if i dig that, that there's an argument to be made that she hasn't officially become like full-blown Catwoman yet, and I think mm. that for the most part, it works in the context of the movie. Okay. And honestly, like, okay. she wears it when she's in the act of, like, doing things, but Burly. for the most, yeah, but for the most part, like, she doesn't wear it, and so, like... Okay. Yeah, you don't see it often. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, that's I fair. don't think it gets, like, too distracting. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. She gets a lot of fun <laughs> wigs. Ooh. Wigs yeah. are fun. Um... I actually just did a list on on Twitter today of the worst film wigs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta go check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, oh goodness! Uh, that has a horrible wig. That's pretty much all that we have for y'all. Um, would y'all like to shamelessly uh, plug yourselves? Where people can listen to your content? What you have coming out? Twitter mm-hmm. handles? Anything? Sure. Um, I guess for me, you can follow me over on Twitter. I'm at BebopShock. You can find the Third Impact Anime Podcast, where we talk about anime at least once a month. We need to put out more episodes. We need to get a little bit more organized, like uh, like Paul and Lauren are. Um, but our most recent episode was on the 2017 series Girls Last Tour with another special guest, a friend of ours, a, a panelist in the community. We had a really great discussion about that show. Um you can find our Twitter at ti underscore anime. We also have a website, thirdimpactanime.com. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I am over on Twitter as well. You can follow me at worstwaifu, and I basically just talk about whatever's going on in my life during the day. So nothing too exciting. <laughs> I like the handle. Yeah. Thank you. I was so shocked that wasn't taken. I was like, Me too. yes, score. <laughs> uh, I will say you mentioned Letterbox, so I guess we, we both of us oh, are on Letterbox yeah. too. So okay. mine's at Bebop Shock as well. So um, mine is at Ghost Story S T O R I. I different handle. Okay. So. <laughs> Um, I'll definitely have to add you. I think that I've got Austin added, so I'll, I'll also yeah, go definitely. and look you up. So, um, well, that's pretty much all that we have. You know, you can always follow the film buds on, um, Twitter and Instagram and I'll link everything down below as well. Um, you know, where I think at film buds on Twitter at the film buds podcast on Instagram, uh, and of course the film uh, if you haven't already, also make sure that you go and read on our website 
uh, Madeline's um, sort of inaugural comments that she wrote uh, for our Women in Film Month. Uh, it's called uh, the women in the women on screen, the woman in the mirror, and it's sort of this um, informal, personal piece of writing about you know looking for yourself on on screen uh, as a woman. And so it's a it's a really fun. It's not a very long read, but it's a really lovely read. And we also definitely thank her for contributing that. Um, and you can also go and read my review for The Seed, um, which is a new movie that just came out. Uh, like today, on Shutter. Oh, it did. Yeah, yeah today. So, today. <laughs> if you want to go and, and read my review on that, um, is it about agriculture? Great. No, <laughs> um, it's a different kind of seed. Yeah, it's oh. um, <laughs> an invasion story. Um, it's an alien invasion sort of um, where these these three women who are hanging out in the desert find this like alien that has crash landed and it has malevolent intent. Mm. Um, and so, and it's a little bit funny, a little bit campy, um, not overly funny. Uh, I, I liked it um, for the most part. Uh, not perfect, but but a, a really good little romp and like not a bad way to spend an hour and some change. Um, but yeah, so that's all that we have for y'all. Austin, Tori, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Tori, we'll definitely have to have you on again. Yeah. Um, oh, yay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. If y'all want to talk some horror movies, let me know. Thank hey. you so that. much. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so thank you guys as always for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.